ahead and pull out your Bibles and uh, something to take notes with this beautiful Sunday morning. Anybody realize how beautiful it is outside? Um, a couple weeks ago when it was another beautiful day, I had the thought, you know, when, you know, remember when we used to have church over there on the other side of this wall? Who was here when we used to do church on the other side of the wall? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. We used to just put uh, like drape over the windows and we called it church. But on beautiful days like this, we'd pull back the curtains and be like, hey, it's a beautiful day. And, you know, the things you miss that you didn't think you'd miss <laughs> all those days. Okay, you've never been through something and then miss something later. Okay, you're right. Okay, uh, anybody got a Bible today? Awesome. If you don't have one, like we said at the beginning, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. You're allowed to use that, take it, give it, read it, and other stuff. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We are uh, doing a series Right now, we're calling Cultural Architects. Have you enjoyed the series so far? Uh, I've been encouraged in, in studying and being with you over the last few weeks. We're doing this series, Cultural Architects, because we believe that as the people of God, God has called us to be architects of kingdom culture. And as followers of Jesus, it can preach real good at church on Sunday and say, you know, we should follow God and love God and love other people. And it sounds so awesome, but then you try to live it out and you find that it's hard, or at least I have found that sometimes it's difficult to know how to do those things well. And as a response, as, as Christians and people who follow Jesus, as, as a person myself, uh, you know, sometimes we come up against hard things and the easiest thing is just to pull the plug and <laughs> leave, right? And sometimes we, as, uh, as followers of Jesus, we can be kind of lured into being cultural complainers. We just stand really far off and complain about everything in the culture that, that, that pushes against what God's calling us to or makes it hard to follow him or love people. Sometimes we become recluses. You know, we just pull back and we're like, let's go hide in our building so that we don't have to actually face anything. You know, we, we, we can do that. Or, or sometimes we've just become cultural clones. You know, it's like easier to just go with the flow sometimes. And uh, it's a challenge to be an architect of a culture, right? Like it takes intentionality. Uh, but even though it's hard, that doesn't mean God hasn't called us to do it. And God has given us power by his spirit. He's given us clarity through his word on how we follow Jesus and love him and love people in this world. So like I said, it sounds easy, but it can be hard. So we're going to go after it. We're just trying to have some honest conversations over these few weeks. And, uh, you know, maybe say some things that don't usually get said in church. Or maybe you've never heard it in church. But maybe some things that we should talk about a lot more often in church than we do. And just call it what it is and say, you know, I know I'm a pastor and a preacher and all that, but sometimes it's hard to love God. Sometimes it's hard to love people and hard to know what to do. And even just when I feel like I'm going good, doing those things, honestly, sometimes there's a question that comes up in me, which is like, how do I live this kingdom culture when I feel like I'm in the middle of a culture that so completely disagrees with everything I feel like God's calling me to do? I know that might sound crazy or whatever, but it's just, I'm just trying to be honest. So that's the series that we are in, and uh, this morning we are going to engage the conversation happening in our culture around sex and sexuality. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and the crowd went silent. <laughs> there we go. There was just nervous laughter. Get it out. There you go. I, I already saw some, you know, like, you know, like so many things wrong with that. First of all, they just said sex and church. And then they're like, that's like, oh, you know, already. And then we're going to talk about sexuality and, you know, just get used to those words. We're just going to say them a lot, you know. And I'm going to say some words that are going to make you wildly uncomfortable probably, even though they get said every other day of the week. 
I'm just saying, we can talk about real life in church, okay? I don't know if you've ever thought about sex, but for those of you who might have ever thought about that, we're going to talk about it today. Uh, or, 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 or who are in a world where, where the conversation around sexuality seems kind of complicated, a little bit tense, and kind of like, how do we do this well? How do we have these conversations well? How do we be in relationship well with people who agree with us, with people who don't agree with us, with why do we even agree? You know, like, ah, you know, we make the face for a reason. So I just figure let's talk about it, okay? So I, I think that most people think that God doesn't really want to talk much about sex and sexuality because in our head, like, and in, in where we think about it in terms of God and church is, like, sex and sexuality, like, it's, it's a little scandalous and it's sort of even, like, dirty, you know? And so God doesn't want to talk about that stuff. The truth is that God actually has a lot to say about sex and sexuality, and uh, God actually really wants to talk about sex and sexuality. And the truth is, I think that if we actually start listening to what he has to say, we might actually find that God wants to talk about sex and sexuality, like, probably more than we do. <laughs> and, and he definitely wants to talk way more about it than the culture we're living in wants him to talk about it. Because it's not scandalous, and it's not dirty. It's actually holy and glorious, and he's all over and about it, and it's just amazing. And he wants to make sure that we experience it and live it to the best that he created it to be. So that's on God's agenda this morning. He definitely wants to talk about this. So in, in the Bible, God outlines, uh, outlines sex. He, it actually, there's like a lot of sex in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever read it. But like cover to cover, it seems like all the time something's being brought up. And God will outline sex. He'll talk about the purposes of it. He talks about how to experience the best sex possible. But there's also, and there's also loads of stories and examples of sex being misused and, and being misunderstood and, and not experienced very well. And we see through the Bible, just like we see in real life, both the personal cost that comes with abusing sex and sexuality and also just the general cost to humanity, to culture, to society, to families, and to others in our lives when sex is used poorly and, and not in the way that God lined it out to be. My point is that this morning in church, God didn't plug his ears when I said that word and started this sermon and say, oh, okay, I, I can't handle this, you know? He didn't plug his ears when we start talking about sex in church or in your marriage or in your relationship with your significant other or the thoughts that you have about it. God doesn't plug his ears when you start having those thoughts and those conversations. He's not clueless about what you think and what you feel and what you desire sexually, and God is not shocked by anything happening in your world or in your life. He's seen it all before. God's not trying to rob you of your sexual enjoyment and fulfillment. I want you to know that this morning. God's design for sex and the boundaries that he has put on sex are so that it can be the best it could possibly be. So to talk about sex and sexuality, we have to start with talking about the purpose of sex and the purpose of sexuality because everything else really builds off that. And pretty much our whole series, we've been living in Genesis 1 and 2 and a little bit of 3 because the beginning's a very good place to start. Have you ever heard a song about that, seen a movie about that? What year did that song come out? Sound of Music, anybody? I wasn't born then. I'm not old. No, I'm just kidding. Genesis chapter 1. Are you there? If you're there, say I'm there. should have you shout sex. That'd be weird. <laughs> Genesis 1 verse 26 through 28. We've read this, I think, every week so far. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Do you know you're blessed this morning? God bless you this morning. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. In the very beginning, God is creating the heavens and the earth. He's creating all of creation and God creates humanity. He creates them male and female. We talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago and we got part two of that coming in a few weeks from the legendary Stephen C. Zanako. And uh, it's going to be a good day. So we've talked a little bit about that. God creates humanity, male and female. Then he commissions humanity to fill the earth, to fill the earth, to subdue it and spread his kingdom, to take dominion over the earth and all of creation. In other words, God creates all of the earth. He puts two humans right there, and he says, I want you two to steward what I have created uh, and, and demonstrate his kingdom. Cultivate what I have given you, and let's see the glory of God cover the earth. And since two people cannot cover the whole earth, he starts off blessing them and saying, hey, you two, male and female, be fruitful and multiply. God can't get one chapter into the universe without talking about sex. (laughs) Sex is a foundational part of God's plan for the world. Because you can't be fruitful and multiply without that part, right? It's like, oh, they must have done that in a really spiritual way. Like, maybe he probably meant that figuratively. He's like, no, no. (laughs) You you have babies one way, right? (laughs) So go and make babies is what he says. It's this foundational part of his plan for the earth. There's actually... Sex is worked into God's plan for how he is going to demonstrate his glory to the God, glory, the, demonstrate the glory of God through humanity all over the planet. It can't happen without it. And he blessed them. He said, I'm going to give you a job. Now go have fun doing it. He blessed them. He blessed them. And it's not just a bodily function we see right from the beginning. That sex is not just a bodily function that has to control your life and define your identity. It's not that simple. It's way bigger than that. It's way more important than that. It's way better than that. That actually from the beginning, God gave sex to humanity as a gift and as part of his plan for how humanity would live out its purpose of spreading the glory of God over the earth. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's just, that's just the first chapter. And God tells us more in the next chapter. He's got a lot to say about this. Chapter 2, if you look at verse 24. Oh, if you could see the blank stares I'm getting. Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I'm thankful that the only purpose of sex is, is, not, is not, what am I trying to say? The only purpose of sex is not just to make babies. I'm thankful that we're allowed to do that when we don't want babies too. <laughs> you laugh at me all you want. I'll say it for all of us. How about that? 
Here in Genesis chapter two, God outlines marriage. He outlines marriage, and, and we see that God's design for marriage is one man, one woman, and a lifelong covenant together. That's what, that's what God designed for marriage. And the way that this lifelong covenant between one man and one woman is going to be solidified and, 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 and lived out for that entire life is that not that they would live together just in relationship, but that they would actually become one flesh. That, that God is saying that there's actually, sex isn't just pleasurable, it's powerful. God gave it to this man and this woman to say, you're gonna go through some things. <laughs> okay. Me and my wife have been through some things at least. And you're going to need to stick together. You need to become one if you're going to live this thing out. And I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to give you sex as as a powerful way of not just having fun and being pleasurable and all those sort of things, but you're actually going to become one flesh together. There's power on this thing. He gave it in the context of marriage, in the context of marriage, so that a man and a woman could become one flesh. It's so much more. Sex is so much more than just feeling good or, or, or fulfilling some biological urge that you have or, or chasing a mental thought that you have. It's so much more than that. Sex is spiritual. It's, it's spiritual it, 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 and it's physical. It's, it's a spiritual, spiritual and physical act of two human beings, one man and one woman, becoming one flesh kind of weird if you think about it, which I know you don't. <laughs> and God is not shy about sex. Let's read the next verse, Genesis two twenty-five. It says this, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So here we have Genesis 1, God creates man and woman, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then Genesis 2, he says, become one flesh. And then he leaves one man and one woman with no kids naked in paradise to themselves. (laughs) Sounds like an ideal environment. (laughs) Like, apparently, he doesn't, you know, whatever. I'm I'm not, I'm going to make you uncomfortable, but I'm not going to go too uncomfortable, I think. So God's not shy about sex. It's not just a biological thing. It's not just pleasurable. It's powerful. God designed this thing, and he gave us the boundaries for it because God has amazing purpose for sex in your life. Amazing. And then we'll skip a bunch of pages that have different things in there. There's sex in there too, but we'll go to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll skip a whole bunch of pages. There I go, forgetting my bookmarks again. Do you have it back there? Can I just read it? Thank you. All right, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Does that sound familiar? Straight out of Genesis 2, all the way on the other side of the cross and the New Testament, God reaffirms his design for marriage, reaffirms his design for sex. His plan was good in the first place before the fall. He knew what he was doing when he set it up, so he restates it again here in his word in Ephesians chapter 5, that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall join his wife, and they will become one flesh. In verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. This mystery is profound. Have you found marriage to be a mystery, anybody? This mystery is profound. And I am saying, God is saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery, this act of one man and one woman becoming one flesh, it's a mystery 
which is why it feels like a mystery and even some of the stuff I'm saying, like, could you explain that more? And at the end of the day, it's a mystery, but it says what it says. It's a mystery and it's more than just you and another person becoming one flesh. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's an example of what Christ, how Christ wants to be in relationship with his church. It's kind of crazy. It's not just powerful, it's not just pleasurable, it's, 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 it's a mystery and, and it's a metaphor. So I, I know, like I've said, I know we're gonna make you really uncomfortable and like I said, there's, there's more we could say because it's just better than you think but sometimes we're not ready for God to pull back the veil completely because it's like, whoa, that's weird to think about, all that kind of stuff. But I do want you to know just straight out of there of Ephesians chapter five that God designed sex to be a revelation of the gospel. Christ and his church. See, when you have sex in the context of marriage and when you don't have sex outside of the context of marriage, you're living the gospel. Both sides. This isn't just for married people. This isn't just for married people. Any non-married people in the room? (laughs) It's all right. Any married people in the room? Any non-married people in the room? See, when we talk about sex, it's not just for married people, because how many of you know married people aren't the only people who think about sex? <laughs> I want you to hear this morning that God's designed for your life, that, 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 that sex as a revelation of who God is and what he's like and how he wants to be in relationship with his people is not reserved for married people. You, you, you preach the gospel to yourself and to the world. You demonstrate how God wants amazing, deep, intimate relationship with his people when you don't do it outside of the context of marriage. And when you then, when you only do it inside the context of marriage, you preach the gospel. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's why it feels like a mystery. That's why everybody's like, well, why do I feel like I want to go do all these things? And it's like, well, it's a mystery. Something about turning aside from everything else and only doing what God has led us to do. Something about that preaches this gospel that there is the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus. And somehow in these boundaries, and that gate is actually the broadest way and the only way to life. It's a mystery, but we believe it. God says this is a mystery. But it's like Jesus in his church. You live the example of how God wants to love his people and is committed to holiness. He is committed to his people when we live this out in his design. See, humans desire, your desire for sex and, and, and your sexuality, it's not just physical and it's not just biological. Sex is an experience for the entire being. It's mental, it's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual. You are hardwired for intimacy. That's what you're looking for. At the deepest level, you're looking for intimacy, which goes way deeper than just the act of sex. You're looking for intimacy, and and you're looking, and I don't even just mean with another person, like your soul is longing for intimacy, which means holy, devoted, and pure relationship with God. That's what you're longing for in the deepest part of your being. And God has given sex in the context of marriage, a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman as an example of the mysterious way that he wants to be holy and, devout, and, holy and devoted and pure in relationship with his people. This is a big deal. It's way more complicated than people are making it out to be. It's simple, but it's complex. It's deep. It's big. The bottom line is this, that God cares deeply about sex and sexuality. And and I want to be clear that this is not a message about homosexuality. 
This is not a message about heterosexuality or same-sex attraction or transsexuality. This is a message about human sexuality. This is a message for all of us. Too often, this conversation about sex and sexuality becomes a conversation about them out there. So we're not going to do that (laughs) because we're all in the same boat here. We're all thinking about it. We're all trying to figure it out. And God wants to talk to every single one of us. God wants his church to lead the way. Lead the way in, in, in living this out and loving the world so they can find what he made them for. This is a message for all of us. And I just want you to hear clearly, if you haven't heard it yet in church this morning, that God has a much better plan for your sex life than the devil does. And that's why I want to run to Jesus. I've shared my personal story uh, several times over the years. uh, But, you know, I started getting addicted to pornography when I was in fifth grade. I remember some friends talking about it at lunch one day, and I got curious, and all of a sudden I was stuck. And around fifth grade started, uh, yeah, just went south real fast, we, should, we could say. Uh, started, I got addicted to pornography and masturbation through all of that. And I remember in those years, uh, over the next 10 years, having different accountability partners and people help me and try to come alongside and the filters on the computer and all of those sorts of things. But, but none of that really mattered. And I, I remember being in environments maybe like a church or, or something like that where somebody would stand up and they would talk about how they had struggled with uh, that addiction, and, but they didn't anymore, and like, you know, God had set them free or whatever. You know, like it used to be a thing. And I remember hearing people say that. And I, and I, I genuinely believed those people. I, I believed that they were out of it, that they had been in I believed they'd been in it, and I believed they were out. I, I knew it could happen, but I didn't think it could happen for me. I remember so many, different envir- so many different environments sitting there listening and being like, man, that's awesome for you, and that's great for you, and that would be awesome for me, but there's no chance. I remember sometimes in my, sometime in my teenage years just kind of, kind of hitting the point where I realized, you know, I, I just kind of resigned myself to the fact that I was going to grow old addicted to this stuff. And it was going to be a part of my life, and hopefully I would be able to manage it enough so that it didn't ruin too many things. Because I, I was in church, and, and, and my, my parents were trying to help me. I mean, I had everybody, like, on my team telling me the truth. I knew it. I just couldn't get out of it. And so I just kind of resigned myself to the fact that this was how life was going to go, and hopefully nothing got too messed up along the way. When I was 20, so I think it had been about 10 years, when I was 20, I uh, started following Jesus for real. I, I really gave my life to Jesus. And I, I remember I was hungry for God, and I was starting to read my Bible. I was trying to learn how to pray and spend time with God. And I remember going over to Chad and Kara's Freegie's house. Over they had just gotten married, and I was like, you need to remember this one. Burn me some CDs. <laughs> and Chad handed me this stack of like, no, you didn't. That was legal. Never mind. <laughs> he didn't hand me any CDs. <laughs> I found some outside of his apartment. I started listening to the worship music. I wanted God. I was hungry, but I still could not get free. I could not get free from this addiction. I could not shake it. And I remember uh, like a couple of months maybe after really starting to try to follow Jesus, I remember being in in bed one night and doing what I had done so many times. I just pulled out my computer. I started looking at pornography again, and I just kind of hit the point where I was like, this is so dumb. Like I never thought it was really awesome. If you've ever been addicted to something, you know. You're like, this, I know this is terrible, but I'm still doing it. And so I was just having that thought again. Man, here I am again. This is miserable. I hate this. 
But here we are. And uh, I just remember getting, like, to the point where it was, I was so sick of it, I just kind of just, like, put it away. And I remember rolling over in bed and praying this prayer that I had been times before. God, help. That's all I had. And I went to sleep. A few weeks later, I remember uh, just kind of, I think I was just walking through my house or something, and I just had this thought. I was like, wait a second. I haven't, like, looked at porn or masturbated in a few weeks. This is weird. And I was really pumped. I was like, that's awesome. And then I was like, oh, no. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm going to want to do it. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, I'm thinking about it, but I don't want to do it. I don't have to go. Do, like, I, I'm saying no right now. Look at this. I remember being shocked. And I was like, this has never happened before. Like, a, a freedom to be able to just, like, walk away. Like, I had gritted through a few no's in my day. But this was different. This was different. And, and after some more time passed, I realized that I still was not doing it and had no desire to do it. And it was amazing. And it was very strange. And I remember uh, praying one day, and I'm like, God, what is going on? Oops. That'll make sense later. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's getting weirder. I remember asking God, Lord, what is going on? H how is this possible? What is happening? And uh, I, I'm praying, and, and I, I just, I don't know how else to say it other than I kind of saw this, this image in my head or in my heart as I'm praying. I don't know if that ever happens for you, but I just felt like I was seeing something kind of in my mind's eye or in my heart that God was speaking to me. And I sort of saw this image of myself in like this pitch black space, and I was just on the floor, like in the fetal position. And how many of you know that's what addiction feels like? You know, and I remember, and, and I kind of, it was like, it, it was like I knew God was sort of playing out what had happened that night. That's where I was. I was stuck in this pitch black darkness, and I remember kind of seeing myself poke my head out like this, you know, and I, was, and I said, God, help. And I saw his hand pierce through the darkness, and he put his hand over me, and he said, I'll take that as full surrender. We've got things to do. And he yanked me out, and he set me free. So I'm praying, and I thought, wow, <laughs> great, <laughs> weird, okay, you know. That was 10 years ago, and I haven't stumbled or given in one single time since that last day. Because it's possible, and God sets people free, it's what he does. And I want to tell you that story this morning, because I want to testify to the power of God, but really more than anything, I want to level the playing field. I want to level the playing field because this, this morning's message, it, it, it's all about equality. This is, this, is a, this is a we're all equal message. It's not, this isn't like a, a message about LGBTQ issues. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's also an S in the alphabet for straight. It's for all of us. It's for all of us, because we've got to be clear as we're going to engage this conversation, if we're going to really live this thing out, and what I mean by that is not be religious people who have a more miserable life than everybody. I'm talking about if we're going to live life following Jesus, experiencing everything he's called us to, demonstrating to the world the blessing of walking and the covering of God and following him and demonstrating the kingdom of God and being architects of the culture of heaven that God wants on earth just like it is in heaven. If we're going to do this, we've got to be really clear about some things. We got to be really clear of some things that regardless of what your expression is, expressing sexuality outside of the context of one man and one woman in marriage, a lifelong covenant together is sin. 
The reason we have to be clear about that is not so that we can be right. Oh God, save us from our need to always be right. I repent. We need to be helpful. When we understand God's design for sex and his intention to, and his intention, when we understand that, that it's his intention to express the glory of God, we can clearly understand that when we go against that design, we are in sin. And when we understand that we are in sin, we understand that no matter how it feels in the moment or what anybody says or what I might think about it, the reality of sin and my sin and your sin and our sin is that sin has consequences. When I understand this is sin, I understand it has consequences. I understand that it separates me from God. I understand that it leads me to death and to brokenness. I understand that it hurts everybody else in my life. And I understand that it actually costs those whom God has called me and called you to show his glory to and demonstrate his kingdom to. When I understand it's sin, I understand it's cost. But it doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. Too often the conversation in church stops there that it's sin and it leads to death and it's bad and it's costing you and you should stop. There's much more to the conversation that God would like to have about sex and sexuality. Knowing that sexual expression outside of a man and a woman in the context of lifelong marriage means that it is sin, and it means that just like every other sin, there is a solution. I said, there's a solution. (laughs) There's so much shame that comes along with all of this stuff. So much shame and guilt and all of that kind of thing. And and, and we start asking questions that we think are unique about this category of sin. We start saying things like, well, what does God think of, of, of this if I tell him? I want you to know he already knows. So just start talking about it. What's God gonna do if I tell him? Again, he already knows. What's he been doing the whole time? He knows that you've been wondering what he would do if he would know. He's loved you. Spoiler alert. What does God think of me when I do this? What does God think of how I feel? What does God think of who I'm attracted to? What does God think of what I'm choosing? What does God think about what I have done? I want you to tell you, you don't have to wonder anymore. God has made it extravagantly clear in his word what he thinks about all of these things. He thinks that it is sin, which means that it's going to kill you and it's gonna kill who you're called to be and therefore he hates it. He hates it because he doesn't want you to live like that. That's why God hates it. So God decided that he was gonna take on your flesh and your bone and he was gonna live the life that you were called to live but can't live so that he would die the death that you owed to your sin so that you didn't have to die it so that he would raise from the dead and give you new life so that you could be born again. Not so that you could be fixed or adjusted or converted. You could be born again so that you would have a new life so that it would be like you no longer live anymore but Jesus lives in you. He did it so that you could be like a new creation. Actually not like a new creation a new creation so that the old could pass away and the new could come. God decided I'm going to save you and then I'm going to make you reborn and then I'm going to raise from the dead and then I'm going to pour out my spirit inside of you so that you can experience the intimacy at a level that you can never ask or dream or imagine because even sexual intimacy is still me and you 
and we're still not the same, but God wants to just possess on the inside and flow out from the inside and satisfy from the inside. This is what God thinks. God thinks, hey, you should repent so I can forgive you and put myself inside of you. That's what God thinks. What does God think of your brokenness? God thinks it's finished. What does, God, what does God think about your pain? God thinks he's the healer. What, what does God think about your confusion? God thinks he is the way, the truth, and the life. What does God think about your identity? He's got this crazy idea that he is, he is your father, that he loves you, that he will rescue you, and he will chase you down no matter the cost, no matter the price, and he will adopt you as his child and bring you as an heir into his kingdom so that you can be everything he dreamt you to be as your father. That's what God thinks about you. I just need to tell somebody this morning, ABC. E-F-G, H-I-J-K, L-M-N-O-P, Q-R-S, T-U-V, W-X, Y, and Z. God loves you. God sees you. God knows you. God is not scared of you. God is not intimidated by you. God has plans for you. God has promises for you. God has called you. God is with you. God loves you. We need to be crystal clear. Not just about the first half of the conversation, but we got to be crystal clear about the whole conversation that God wants to have about sex and sexuality. we got to be crystal clear. And, there, and that means we have to be incredibly compassionate. We have to be compassionate for where people are on their journey. We, we need accountability, and we need all of that stuff. But I want to tell you this morning, there's only one thing that can set you free. Only one thing that can set you free and make you new, both personally, corporately, as a society, and as a culture. There is one thing that can serve as that foundation of this culture that we're called to build for the kingdom of God. That one thing is not tolerance. It's not acceptance. It's not comfort. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's not right opinions. It's not agreeing about everything. It's not self-discipline. It's not indulgence and just letting it run. It for sure, the answer for sure is not pretending like none of this is real and just suppressing your desire for sex or acting like there's nothing wrong and we should all just roll with it. None of those things are the answer. I want to tell you this morning that you are made to burn. You are made to burn. You are made to burn with passion. You are made to burn with desire. You are made to burn with hope. And you are made to burn for intimacy. You are made for it. And too often, especially in church, we, we try to set up boundaries that, that, that aren't just like the limits, but they actually suppress us. They suppress what's going on inside of us. What I mean is the answer is just push it down. Everything going on inside, just shh, silence it. Make it quiet. Push it away. Shove it under the rug. Shove it into a closet. Lock the door and run. But you're made to burn, and God has put the desire to burn inside of you. I'm not just talking about sex and sexuality here. You catching what I'm saying? You are made to burn for something so much more. And because you are made to burn, sin comes along, and it kind of just like flicks, right, and sparks. Sin comes along and, and shows you this. And it flashes its little flame right in front of your eyes. And you're kind of like a moth, you know, <laughs> at, at, at night. 
because that's what happens when you, when you live out in the dark and in the cold and somebody lights a lighter, flicks a match, you see a spark, of course you come running because it's what you're looking for, or at least you think it is. And it's awesome. It's awesome when you run up to this thing and you finally experience it, and it's great, and it's amazing until it's not, right? It's cool for a second until the second's over. And, and we know that, oh, I thought it was awesome, but now it, it sort of felt awesome, but now it really feels not awesome. And we know it, but we don't know what else to do. Because I'm out here in the dark, and I'm in the cold, and I've got this burning desire to be warm, but I got nothing to run to. And so now it's over here, and now it's her, and now it's him, and now it's that, and now it's this. And here I am, and now I'm over here, chasing, looking, longing to burn. I want to read a verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. The Bible says this, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. Sin and shame and the devil and the world that you're living in is suppressing you. I want you to know that. It's suppressing you. It's trying to push you down. It's telling you to hold back your life from God. It's telling you to hold back your sexuality from God because God can't give you what you really want. God can't give you what you really need. God's trying to keep you away from what you're really looking for. It's a lie and it's suppressing you. My friends, do not hold back. Do not hold back. You are made to burn, and I'm telling you, because you already know it, this is never going to set you ablaze. It hasn't worked yet. It's not going to work next time or the time after that. It doesn't work. It's suppressing you. It's keeping you chasing something that won't actually fit. So what does Hebrews 12, us, Hebrews 12 tells us? Hebrews 12 tells us good news that Jesus is king. Jesus is king, and his kingdom cannot be shaken. Whatever the culture says, whatever you've done, whatever you think about it, whatever you feel about something, I'm telling you, you might be shaking, but God is not. His kingdom is not shaken. His kingdom is secure. And it says, let us offer to God acceptable worship and, 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 and holy sacrifice. Let us offer with reverence and awe because our God is an all-consuming fire. When you live your life on the altar of praise, God will consume you. Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this isn't a lighter fire. This is an all-consuming fire. God's not saying live your life on the altar because I'm insecure and I need somebody to tell me how great I am. God's saying if you'll get on the altar, I will send fire. I will send fire. Look through the Bible, page after page. Every time sacrifice was offered, there came fire. And God's saying, this is what you need to do. You're focused on so many different things. You're, 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 being, you're being lured by desires and thoughts and philosophies and opinions. And you're trying to stamp out each one of them. Stop living your life trying to stamp out everything like a whack-a-mole. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're going to miss one and it's going to get you and it's going to kill you. Turn your life. Repent from your chasing. Turn from your, from your need, from your questions, from your confusion. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying you've got to focus on one thing. 
You can only focus on one thing. He says, just focus on putting your life on the altar and let me consume you with fire. Every day, one day at a time, one decision at a time, one emotion at a time, one feeling at a time, one mistake at a time, one bit of confusion at a time, one YouTube video at a time. Is somebody saying another thing about another thing that sounded really good and it kind of clicks with your heart? But you got to focus on living your life as an offering of praise. And praise is simple. It's you, Jesus, over me. It's not ignoring what's going on on your insides. It's putting what's going on on your insides on the altar. Like Jesus said, I'd rather not go to that cross. I know in the moment it feels like you'd rather go there. You'd rather do that with him, with her, in that way, go through this or that. You would rather, and I get it, and I'm not saying you wouldn't rather. I'm just saying worship is saying not my will, but your will be done. It's one sacrifice at a time. It's one sacrifice at a time. It's one sacrifice at a time. You'd never get free from sin by fighting harder. And I want to just break the cat out of the bag on temptation too. You're going to get tempted again, and it means nothing about who you are. I remember talking with a friend one time. He's, he came up to me. He's like, he had worked through, was he gay or not? And he had kind of been there and done that. And he came back out, and like a year later, he's like, bro, I think I'm gay. I'm like, what are you talking about? We, we've been through this. He said, I just keep getting tempted. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? You're not tempted because you're gay. You're tempted because the devil hates you. You're not tempted for any other reason other than the devil hates you, which is super disarming, honestly, because it doesn't mean anything about who you are or what you aren't. I understand. I've, I, I know what it is to think about something that's not true, <laughs> to chase something that doesn't satisfy. Like I said, it's equality here. We're on the level playing field. God's saying freedom is not found by chasing all of these other things. Jesus sets you free. And here's what I've learned about temptation. The devil was created. Satan was created to lead worship in heaven. And all he can do is skew things, right? He doesn't create anything. He didn't create any of this stuff. He's not, he's not gonna outsmart you. He can't outpower you. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. And because he was made to be a worship leader, leading worship is all he can genuinely do. What I'm trying to say is every time you get tempted, all the devil's doing is waving a flag about the last thing God beat. I want to challenge you with something. Remember years ago, I just got so mad at this. I hated it. Too many people, too many marriages. Come on now. Too many kids. Too many. It costs too much. I remember saying, all right, devil, I'm going to make you regret every time you tempt me. Because I'm still in the middle, sure, the temptation, whatever. It's a new thing all the time. Whatever. It's not because I'm weak. It's because the devil hates me. And so I just figure if hell's going to talk to me, I'm going to make him regret it. And I remember being in college, walking down the street, single dude in college, and it's whatever situation, and it's whatever thought comes through my mind about her or him or this or that. And it's like, all right, devil, Lord, I bless that girl in Jesus' name. I thank you for her destiny. I thank you for the man she's going to marry. I thank you for her kids and her family. We pray, pray salvation over her life right now in Jesus' name. And while we're at it, Lord, I'm asking that you would break down the pornography industry. I'm asking that every single website, every operation would fall. And while we're at it, God, I'm asking for everybody stuck in sex trafficking right here and right now. Would today be a day of freedom in Jesus' name? I ask for every pimp on the planet Earth to be 
saved today in Jesus' name. Lord, we release dreams over the earth today. God, would old men and young men prophesy and dream dreams. Lord, would they become revivalists for their nations and for their, their, their rings of whatever it is that they're doing. Break the power of addiction in Jesus' name. Make them regret it. Because you're a Christian. You've got God inside of you. And it's time we start stomping on some ground that God won for us. Sorry about that. That wasn't in the notes. I want us to wrap up this morning. We're going to go ahead and, why don't you go ahead and stand up. And we're going to have our band come on up and lead us in one more song. Because like we said, all we can do is worship, right? All we can do is worship. I haven't talked too much this morning, a little bit, but not too much about how we go out and live this out there. It's mainly been more about kind of us together in here and even each one of us personally in here. How do we live this out personally? And, and, and when we do this personally, the reason this is just talking about us and we gotta start it is because when we live this personally, when we're able to go into a world that is longing to burn, if we can go out there already set on fire, this stuff starts to make a lot more sense. We're gonna start seeing a lot more breakthrough and a lot more people understand that God is calling them close. God has what it is that they're looking for. I just want us to, 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 to know that our, our job is to get set on fire. Our job is not to point out everybody else's failures. Our job is not to point out everybody else's sins. Our job is to live a life that demonstrates what they're longing for. I wanna encourage you. I wanna, I honestly, I want to beg you and petition you to consume your life with getting set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Please let us not consume our lives anymore with being more right than everybody else and out arguing everybody else and judging everybody else. Can we please, can we please live our lives on the altar, worship a sacrifice and just say, God set me on fire. Because in the end of the day, We've all lived out in the dark and in the cold. And now we've been drawn near, not just to a flame, but to an all-consuming fire. And the world doesn't need to hear about how bad this is and turn away from this. When you're consumed with an all-consuming fire and this thing comes back flicking, you don't need self-will to say no to this when you have an all-consuming fire. You're more logical than that. It's like, I got everything I need. You can flick all you want. You can't touch what God's given me. We've all lived in the dark and in the cold and let us not live our lives by the fire shouting at everybody else who's still out in the cold. Telling them about how cold they are. Telling them about how lost they are and turning back to the fire feeling good about how warm we are. Let us repent and jump into the fire. Get set ablaze and run into that darkness because when you're on fire you're always warm we always want to be a people who respond to the word of God this whole cultural conversation it seeks to surround us with so many different things our brokenness our confusion questions curses slandering all, all kinds of different things and, you know, when you are surrounded by something, it either empowers you or it enslaves you. And this thing seeks to enslave you. But we're going to sing a call, a song, making a declaration about what we're actually surrounded by. We are not surrounded by a culture that this or that or all those sort of things. We don't have time to complain. We don't have time to pull away. We don't have time to get into the flow. We have to demonstrate the fire of God in our lives. And the good news is we're surrounded. 
we are surrounded by Jesus. We are surrounded by the host of heaven. You are surrounded by the power of God in your life to live the life that God's called you to, and we've got to do it. And so we're just going to have a really broad response time. And if you were here Wednesday night with Joe, it's going to be sort of a similar thing. God was really highlighting this specifically on Wednesday and carried it into this morning that, you know, we just need the fire of God. And that might be new for you and be like, I don't even know what that means. It doesn't really honestly matter what it means. It's in the Bible, and so I want it. I don't need to be able to explain it. I want God. And so if you're here this morning, maybe you came here and you're like, man, I need something from God this morning. You know, I, I'm, I'm coming to church. I know I need it. You might be here this morning, and just as we've been talking, God's been putting his finger on something. Some of you are maybe feeling like right now once we've stood up, it's like, I got to just get my life.